This episode of Unconventional Engineering is brought to you by Metrics. Metrics, transforming the industry together. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to ASME's podcast, which is called Unconventional Engineering. I'm your host, Roy Firestone, here with my co-host, ASME's Executive Director and CEO, Tom Costabile. Tom, good to see you. Hello, Roy. It's good to be with you again. Uh, Always is. We've got another fun show to do here today. I think so, too. You know, I got to say, I am not, of course, an industrial engineer myself, although I might end up becoming one, all I'm learning, even through osmosis. But today, we're very pleased to welcome James Muth. He is the CEO and co-founder of Sarah uh, Technology. It's a company that is creating the generation of metal printers we welcome him to Unconventional Engineering. Before we start a little bit of background on James, he holds an MS in Mechanical Engineering from Stanford with a focus on energy systems and high temperature gas dynamics and a BS degree in Mechanical Engineering from Santa Clara University. And prior to that, James was at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory where he worked on the Laser Inertial Fusion Energy Project, my old job, and uh, co-invented and developed the core of Sarah's breakthrough technology in additive manufacturing. And for those who don't know, additive manufacturing, more commonly known as 3D printing, is a process of making three-dimensional solid objects from a digital model. Additive manufacturing is already used in a number of critical fields, medicine, aerospace, civil engineering, industrial manufacturing. James, welcome to Unconventional Engineering. Terrific. Roy and Tom, thanks for having me. Glad to be here today. James, let's let's talk about uh, how you first conceived the idea for Sarah Technologies. Sure. You know, this was a, obviously there's a stuff like this generally is a group effort. Um, happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory with a lot of, you know, very, very intelligent individuals uh, that I was working with. And we were looking to solve some big problems in fusion energy. We were working on a project, as you uh, mentioned earlier, called the LIFE program, Laser Inertial Fusion Energy. Essentially, it's taking the facility that's at the National Ignition Facility today at Livermore, which is 192 lasers, each laser the world's most energetic laser, uh, all focused to a single target to do weapons stockpiled stewardship. Um, we were working on a program that says instead of firing it once a day for research, fire it 10 times a second, turn it into a power plant that, you know, essentially is, you know, no CO2 emissions, no waste. Um, you know, essentially you get energy from seawater, which is, you know, at some level, holy grail of what we were trying to do. Um, actually making that a reality is challenging, um, especially with mandates to use, you know, today's materials. You couldn't use advanced, uh, advanced technology there um, and it need to be, be able to build now. And that meant we need to be creative on design. We need to have creative geometries. And uh, as with many fusion uh, designs, it becomes efficient the bigger it gets. So this was a big chamber, six meters radius, two meters thick, lots of internal cooling channels, perfect for additive manufacturing, if only it wasn't so large. Because mm -hmm. uh, you know when we did the analysis, it was going to take nearly 200 years to print one of these, which means it wouldn't happen in my lifetime, hence the need. And uh, that was the need that drove us to sort of come up with a new innovative way to do additive manufacturing. And that's what we're doing here at Syrah. Mm. Tom? Fantastic, James. <clears throat> so it's quite clear, you you've really uh, are a pioneer in the uh, area of printing, additive manufacturing technology space. Uh, for our audience, a brief overview of how, how it works. Yeah, so if you can think of the way that laser powder bed fusion additive manufacturing works today, and this is 
I take a laser, I focus it to a spot, and essentially scan around a very thin layer of metal powder in a pattern that corresponds to the layer of the digital part I'm looking to print. That's how it's done today. And essentially, you're printing one pixel at a time, single pixel printing. You can add more lasers, which makes it slightly faster, but ultimately, um, it's a very serial process. Um, it's like writing a letter with a pen. And so what we do is more similar to the printing press. It's a massively parallelized way of doing the process. And we do this by essentially taking a really high power uh, laser. We embed it with a high resolution pattern. And then we print a large area at once with millions and millions of pixels of resolution embedded within it. Uh, we saw this was some similarity to uh, the name of the company, George Seurat built up his paintings by the careful placement of many, many millions of points of paint, which we perceive as light. We thought that was some interesting uh, similarities between how we essentially printed a whole image of millions of points of light all, all at once. He was a French impressionistic painter, painter who used dots in his paintings. Exactly, exactly. Right, right. That's great. I, I, I love the way you articulated that description. So thank you for that. So what excites you most about the technology and how this technology can be used uh, versus a more, the more traditional methods that we've all used? Yeah, so it is really at scale. Um, this has the ability to scale to production rates and scale down in cost to below that of conventional manufacturing for costs and above it for production, all while maintaining quality. And really this is the key. How do you break into the conventional manufacturing market you need to be able to do those three things, quality, cost, and production rate. And today additive is, is not hitting at least one or two of those things, depending on the technology as it exists today. And that's really critical. It's, it's how do you get quality at scale um, and do it for a cost that is relevant to the industry that needs it. Um, that's what we see. We have a, a huge, you know, that's our, that's our mission, right? How do you, how do you actually make the change and you need to, be at a large enough scale to make it meaningful in order to make that change. Hmm. You know, one of Sarah's uh, goals is to help the world achieve net zero emissions by the year 2050. Explain to our audience how your technology could help to reduce carbon emissions. Yeah, there's multiple ways. Um, one level, it's, you know, the electrification of the manufacturing process, right? Uh, additive manufacturing, pretty much all additive manufacturing techniques are electrically driven, so they can be energy source agnostic. Uh, at Sarab, we have two things. One is we're making a you know company mandate and mission to essentially get all of our energy from renewable sources um, or for non-CO2 emitting sources. But the second part is we can actually scale to production levels that are meaningful to offset uh, dirty manufacturing processes that are currently done today. And unless you're at scale, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, the other aspect is additive manufacturing has long promised, let's print parts where they're needed, when they're needed. And this is huge for supply chain, right? Um, you know, additive manufacturing can solve problems, let's see, for large aerospace or rocket companies today, because they can, you know, if you're missing one part, you print it and off you go, right? It's low volume. Uh, if you're an automotive company and you've got hundreds of thousands of that type of part and you're missing it, that one part out of all, you know, hundreds of thousands of parts that are in that car, uh, your production line is stopped and additive today can't fill that need. Um, so there's a supply chain aspect which feeds into the whole, you know, let's minimize if you can make parts where they're needed, when they're needed, 
you can reduce the amount of material that's shipped around the globe. You can reduce the amount of material that's stored in warehousings. And today, you know, between shipping a freight and warehousing a freight, that's about a tenth of all of our CO2 emissions worldwide today. So mm. huge ability to have an impact on there when you're at scale. You know, James, supply chain issues have been extremely prevalent in the news lately. How can Syrah's area of printing help alleviate these issues? Yeah, so as I alluded to, it's really the, you know, we have really shown a spotlight in the recent, you know, last couple of years on, on these. And, you know, having a global connected economy is great, but you also have, you know, global roadblocks and, you know, barriers between countries and, you know, delays shipping between ports. And uh, if there is a delay for some reason, that can cause whole production lines to grind to a halt. And that's a problem. And it's, there's a, we need more, we need a nice balance between connectivity and independence. And additive manufacturing allows for manufacturing to have that level of independence. So you're not, uh, you know, you're not beholden to a single supply chain to deliver that part. You can make it where it's needed, when it's needed, and at the volumes that matter. And Syrah allows for it to get to those volumes to make the difference there. I think we talked before about uh, the industry is, is taking a big leap, $15 billion as of, I think, last year. Uh, still just a sliver, though, of the manufacturing world. You recently raised $71 million in funding. How do you plan to use this funding to continue to grow Sarah? Yeah, so, you know, our next steps are really to deploy more machines. Um, we've got a very full customer funnel. And frankly, our, our biggest bottleneck on our end is we need more machines to handle more customers. Um, so, you know, good problems to have. Uh, but the, you know, we have we have limited availability and we got to choose very carefully who our first customers are um, as our first beachheads, if you would, um, for you know, going to market. So we will be, you know, essentially expanding. Uh, we just deployed we're, we're in the process of deploying our first mini print depot it'll host three machines but essentially be a production center to allow us to you know scale to produce serial parts for customers and you know part of this raise is you know obviously grow the team you know make our own supply chain more robust as well as be able to deploy these machines to you know essentially satisfy these customers and ramp them get them through all the qualification and quality and repeatability metrics that are needed to get them to a point where we can scale to large volume production I want to talk about your long-term goals for Sarah. What what what's your some of your priorities in long term? Yeah, so you know, I think our goal is to have you know these print depots. Maybe it's more like thirty machines or more per facility deployed globally at large OEM sites at distribution hubs. That way, we can really fulfill the vision of making parts uh, made where they're needed when they're needed. Um, you can also envision, you know, these facilities are going to be very productive and they're also going to consume a fair amount of energy. We will be deploying these with likely a, a power plant uh, of sorts. And because we're doing that, we actually are able to dictate what our energy source is, whether it's a renewable microgrid, whether it's sort of a, a next generation, you know, high power, uh, you know, green energy source. Uh, that's, that's our goal and that's our target. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, there's also other aspects of, you know, close collaboration with powder manufacturing. And you can even envision some scenarios where you are siting your factory and your powder production near where the material is mined in the first place, right? Uh, talk about cutting out, you know, all the distance you have to move stuff around, um, you know, think about the full picture anyways. So that's kind of our, our goal for how we address 
these different scaling uh, scaling challenges. Um, but you know where we're looking is like let's say by 2030, um, we're looking to have machines printing parts at less than $25 a kilo. Um, put that in perspective, right? Silverware you eat dinner with is about $35 a kilo. The screws you buy at the hardware store are 15. If you're anywhere in that range, you're not talking about, you know, Bugatti brake calipers and, you know, the SpaceX Dragon uh, rocket nozzles. You're talking about everyday components and just to give you a sense of scale for how big of the market we're talking about here. Um, that's the level we're looking to get to, uh, to have the biggest impact. Um, so, you know, TBD on you know, our internal business needs to, you know, how fast do we drive that cost? Uh, you know, lots of different factors play into that, but that's generally where we're looking to go. And we see that as an, enables a huge market of conventionally manufactured parts to now be able to be made by additive manufacturing, have all the benefits of additive without having to redesign how you're doing your parts uh, for the initial uh, part prints. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you. You know, James, a lot of my career, we were citing different plants or what have you. It was always the distribution oval that dictated uh, how much do you invest in a manufacturing facility. Um, so you take out the milling machines, you take out the drill presses, and you put in a 3D, 3, 3D printer. I believe you guys are, are on to a very successful business model. So I, it, this begs the question, what first inter interested you in additive manufacturing? Honestly, it was the need. Um, you know, it was, we were trying to solve some big problems in the world, right? Uh, we were working on an energy problem and the need was manufacturing. Um, you could almost say that Syrah was invented and founded to, you know, to satisfy the need to develop a fusion power plant, right? And to be able to do, you know, the alloy that we particularly were looking to make is called an oxide dispersion steel. And it's got all these little oxide particles th throughout it, which means it's got very great properties at high temperature. And if you were to weld it, those all go away. They all float to the surface of the weld and it's, it's no good. But additive manufacturing is so fast, those little oxide particles don't go anywhere. And you know the melting and solidification happens before anything can move around and you still maintain the properties. And this is why we were really drawn to additive is, wow, it can actually, it can, it can print any geometry we want. It can do what we need to do. And uh, it can maintain or exceed the quality of conventional manufacturing methods um, that came before it. So uh, the problem just was it can't scale. So how do you break that scaling barrier and grow to larger volumes while maintaining uh, quality and lowering cost? You know, speaking of pushing the boundaries, and I realize you're metal oriented right now, but I read today that technology is revolutionizing food. Uh, 3D printing technology advances. Companies are already experimenting with printing food. Meat is being grown in the lab with no added antibiotics or growth hormones could be available, they said, by as early as next year. Do you share their optimism about that, that or that report's optimism? I mean, next year is pretty quick. Um, I, I hope they can. That's always great to have ambitious goals, and we'll see what they can do. You know, in meeting them. Um, you know, I, the on all of this. You know, I think it's it's great to to strive for, you know, the greatest heights as as soon as you can. Um, I think there's also the the added uh, dose of reality that needs to be in there. Things always take longer than you expected. It's just mm -hmm. it's it's the nature of the game. And the more complicated the thing you're working on, um, you know, growing meat might sound simple. And you know, uh, I'm sure that the 
the the details of it are immensely complex. Biology is not a simple science. So um, best of luck, and I, I hope it comes within the year. Um, but I'm I'm not holding my breath yet. I had a conversation um, uh, early this morning with the gentleman who's a former uh, admiral in the Navy. And I was telling him about our conversation yesterday, and he says, "You know, most of our big ships now all have three D printers on it. We've reduced wow. our, uh, we've re reduced our inventory, and you know, it, it allows us to actually see real time what's what's happening." So, wow, um, you know, the concept, a lot of what you've been saying, James, it fits right into the bigger picture of, you know, <clears throat> scalability, uh, time to market. Uh, obviously the cost side of it, but it, it all works. So. Well, Tommy, I just started to build on that real quick. You know, one of the things we notice is from the supply chain point of view for Navy, Army, you name it, Air Force, right? They might have, uh, you know, a plane, a ship or a vehicle down for weeks or months waiting for one part. You're right. And if you could only supply that part, the problem is it's, it's made by conventional techniques. It, you'd have to spin up a whole production line of it. It's, it's yep. just not quick to mobilize to get it to be manufactured. And you know, fulfilling that need is one aspect of the supply chain uh, vulnerabilities that, that we see in the world today. And we see that can be mitigated. The concern also is this is going to take away from manufacturing jobs, from real people, real people who work in manufacturing. Uh, you, wanna, you wanna contradict that theory? Absolutely. Um, I think it's going to change the nature of the job. Um, I don't think that you're going to see, you know, casting, machining, forging, those are not going to go away, right? You're never going to like, uh, let's just say, if you're going to cast an anchor, we're going to be casting anchors for boats for very long times to come, right? They have a huge, like their dollar per kilo for printed material, for manufactured materials so low. Um, it's just not, you know, there are parts that just, they are inherently better at making. Um, the question is just additive is going to, I think, take its place at the table in a, in a major sense. And there's going to be a different type of skill set that is used for additive. You know, I think the big ones are going to be machine operators and the other big ones are going to be application engineers. And these are folks who are creative, who are taking designs, taking geometries and finding out which, how should they really be made? You know, we've spent all this time, you know, thousands of years casting metal um, and been limited by the constraints of the casting process. What happens when you, you know, break those barriers and you can now make parts to whatever their real geometry should be for their performance? So I think uh, really putting an emphasis on creativity and on, you know, how do you make something that is, you know, doing something that can't be done before, um, mm -hmm. you now have the keys of the kingdom to do that. So have at it. So James, to your point, um, in my generation, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, we faced a, a different challenge. So we were automating with uh, conveyor belts and inline manufacturing and changing traditional batch manufacturing into that. And to Roy's point, we often heard, you're taking our jobs away. Well, we might have reduced the total number of jobs, but the jobs that were there were higher paying family wage jobs that created new jobs and new skill sets for, for improving everybody's way of life. Mm -hmm. That took about a five to six year period to just be absorbed. I knew we were winning when the trade unions were all, all full supportive of us bringing in new types of manufacturing. You know, before we go, take a paragraph or two, James, and tell us why you're upbeat, optimistic, and what you see the new world being with 3D technology at its very best in the next, say, decade or so. Sure. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, our goal is to democratize manufacturing and reduce the cost of 3D printed parts to below that of conventional manufacturing. 
And what happens is when you do that, you all of a sudden have all the benefits of additive manufacturing coming along for the ride, which means design freedom, ability to combine multiple parts into one, ability to make parts to the way that physics said they should be made for your application, you know, make parts where they're needed, when they're needed, you know, simplify your supply chain uh, and so on. It's, it gets exciting when you suddenly have design freedom because, you know, we're talking, you know, years down the road here where you start really implementing this at scale, but, um, you know, you can embed lattice structures into let's say steel to make it lighter weight and stiffer than carbon fiber. And when you do that, you've just created a new material if you do it on the micro scale. Mm -hmm. And now you've literally just created a new material. There's so many new applications you can do with that that you couldn't do before because you now have material that has no fatigue limit. Um, it's got you know the melting temperature of the steel, it's got the performance of steel, but it behaves like carbon fiber, yet infinitely recyclable. So um, that's one example. And you know, you take that and you start applying it across the broad, broad spectrum materials. You can get incredible performances that come out of that that you just never could really dream of before. And the applications, um, essentially, we're just scratching the surface there. I think, you know, from the perspective of, you know, our ability to understand where things are going to go, is is limited. We're we're, we're going to try our best, um, but it's it's going to be such a whole new world out there that. I think the, the amount of growth we're going to see is, is going to be incredible um, and it's going to be an exciting time. It's like a new industrial revolution, would you say, maybe? We, it very well could be. Um, if everything goes anywhere near as well as planned, I think it will. Beautiful. Well, that does it for today's episode of ASME's Unconventional Engineering. Special thanks to my co-host, ASME's Executive Director and CEO, Tom Costabile. We'll thank all of you for listening in and You'd like to hear, we'd like to hear from you. We want to know what you think, and we love to hear your suggestions for potential future topics and guests. So reach out to anyone on the Unconventional Engineering production team or send your email directly to media at asme.org. To become an ASME member, please log on to asme.org or to donate to the ASME Foundation, go to asmefoundation.org. For ASME, I'm Roy Firestone. Have a great day, everybody. Hey!